Hope you're doing well today. Glad to be here. Glad to be inside on a uh, rather drizzly morning. Now, I asked the teens this. You can wave it way in. You can raise a hand if you want. Anybody like me, time changes. You think you'll get an extra hour of sleep, and somehow you get three less than normal. Uh, some of you might be like me, and uh, an overtime college football game might have had a little bit to do with that, but uh, still had time to get a lot of sleep. Anyway, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm jokingly thinking of today as unofficial Yankee Sunday here at Marlbrook. I'm from Pennsylvania originally. Try not to hold that against me. And uh, our guest speaker, missionary Dave Arnold, is from Pennsylvania as well. I believe he came yesterday or this morning from PA. So uh, we're excited for that. Brother Dave Arnold's uh, wife, Miss Gloria, was my third grade teacher in school years ago. So if you want to know stories about a little eight or nine year old me, feel free to ask. I, I don't remember too many. She might remember more than I do, but uh, jokingly calling it Yankee Day. Please don't leave because of that. Um, I promise I'll try not to let any extra PA accent come out, excuse me, come out or act more like a Yankee than usual. But uh, we're glad to be here. Hope you can join us tonight. I sure appreciate Pastor John giving me the opportunity to preach this morning. I'm glad he and Miss Melissa could get away and just get fed, just get poured into, as Brother Andy mentioned. Please do keep them in prayer as they travel. And uh, I think their next conference starts tomorrow, so uh, looking forward to that. I appreciate a pastor who always wants to learn, always wants to grow. Hey, he doesn't want to just pour into us. He wants to be poured into as well, and I sure do appreciate that. Uh, as Pastor John said, I believe last week, I appreciate all you did for my family as well for Pastor Appreciation Month. We felt downright appreciated, I'll tell you. I sure do appreciate that. And uh, many of you have heard that my grandpa, my mom's dad, did go home to be with the Lord uh, just yesterday morning. And I want to thank you for... Uh, uh, kind words there. Some of you didn't even know about it, so don't worry if you haven't, uh, you know, said a prayer for my family or anything like that. That's perfectly fine, but many of you have been so gracious and uh, kind there. Uh, he accepted Christ long ago and uh, been a godly sweet man, and uh, so he's with his Savior now. He had heart issues for years, and uh, in the last week or so, it just went downhill. Uh, I've told the story often, but it really is a bit of an answered prayer that uh, his desire for years was to never have to be put into a nursing home. Uh, it's the right fit for some, but it was just he, he even volunteered at a nursing home for a long time, just never wanted to go into a nursing home. And uh, just uh, a couple hours after he passed, uh, my mom and her siblings were going to uh, meet together to discuss what nursing home they were going to have to put him in if his health held on just a little longer. And uh, so really, in many ways, he got his wish, many ways an answered prayer. He didn't have to go to a nursing home. He got to go to heaven. So we're, we're grateful for that and uh, so glad that even though there's sadness, there's so much hope. And I uh, appreciate you praying for, for our family there. And uh, services are late this week, so we'll be uh, planning to head up to PA later this week. This morning, I want to preach a message from Acts chapter 17. Feel free to turn there. Message is entitled, How Do You Respond? And I hope that's something we would consider any week. But Acts 17, uh, Paul preaches his famous sermon at Mars Hill. And I'm looking forward to digging into that amazing passage of Scripture, kind of verse by verse. But before we walk through that passage, I wanted to jump right into the middle and read just two verses to get us started. So Acts 17, feel free to look at verse 24 just for now. Acts 17, verse 24, it says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth life to all and breath and all things. 
As Paul was presenting the one true God to the people there, he calls attention to how big God is, how powerful and how amazing, how far above us that God is. Paul really doesn't talk about himself here, but he does talk about how amazing God is. And at the beginning of this message, really at the beginning of a day, at the beginning of anything, I love to remember how big God is. Boy, it puts worries, puts stress, puts problems, puts successes back into perspective. It puts my life back into perspective as I put God into his proper place in my own mind, in my own heart, and my own perspective. I've enjoyed, thinking of a way just to kind of illustrate this, I've enjoyed the newly launched James Webb NASA telescope. Maybe you're not a science nerd like me, but here's a couple of pictures from that space telescope. I've always enjoyed science. I've always enjoyed uh, galaxies and pictures and astronomy in a casual sense. But that left picture is known as the Pillars of Creation. Good name for it. And the right is just, again, this, this was taken within the last few months. That telescope is fairly brand new. I have a, a friend that I don't know well, but I grew up a few years younger than him, and he works for NASA. Did not work on that, but has worked on some other large projects, so he keeps me apprised through Facebook of uh, some of the goings-on. But I look at that, and on that, that right picture, those aren't stars. Those are galaxies. Each little blip. Could be billions of stars, some of them probably trillions, some maybe just millions, only millions of stars. But just little blips. Uh, on the left, a bunch of space gas. And it still looks that majestic and that amazing. And, and God cares. I mean, he's that big. But he's even becomes bigger when we realize, becomes bigger to us when we realize that's not what he cares most about. That's not the pinnacle of his creation. In his view, we are. He, he cares infinitely more about you, each of us, and he does about that. That's the kind of view I want to start every message I ever preach with. That God, that amazing big God. That's how I want to start every day and everything in my life. So let's, let's each catch a glimpse of how big God is. Apostle Paul preached him there at Mars Hill, and we'll look through those, the rest of those verses as well. But boy, I hope this morning you've already gotten a glimpse of how big God is. Maybe through your own devotions, your own time with the Lord, but through the worship, through time together. But let's make sure God is big, life-size to each of us. <laughs> we can't do anything ever to actually shrink God down. But we can do a lot to either make him big or small to us. Big or small in our daily lives. And we make him big to us, boy, it makes responding to him about anything so much easier. So as we go through this message, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe you feel a tug from the Holy Spirit to change something about your life. Maybe you even get your toes stepped on. I don't know. Remember, it's that big God that's challenging you to even better things. It's that big God that not only created that, but knit you together in your mother's womb. He cares so much about us. He's that God. <laughs> that God wants me to change something, I'll do it. But all of a sudden, when other things become more important, well, when I become really big in my own view instead of God, now it's I. We would never say it, but it's almost who is he to tell me how to live my life? That's just a small glimpse of who he is. And yet he loves us infinitely. Let's be willing to respond to that God. Let's pray, and we'll dive into Acts 17. God, we thank you for being that God. We thank you that you are bigger than we can ever understand, that even in all eternity, I don't think we'll ever be able to even understand everything that you are. May we have a big view of you this day, this message, this week, and for the rest of our lives. God, if there's anything in my life you want me to change, any response you want me to make this morning, I pray that I will. 
and for uh, each of us as well to make that commitment to have a big view of you and be willing to respond to the amazing, awesome, loving, compassionate, caring God that you are. You made the whole universe with just some words, and yet you love each of us, and you see everything we're going through. We thank you for loving us. I pray that you'll speak to us through Acts 17. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, first of all, how do you respond to the need around you? And we're skipping back to Acts 17, starting in verse 16 for right now. So again, we kind of hopped in the middle. But how do you respond to the need around you? Acts 17, verse 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them, some other people traveling on this missionary journey with him, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. He was stirred, are we? He was stirred. Do you notice? You might be like, well, synagogues, that's, that's not a thing in our area. I can't go there. But it wasn't just synagogues. It wasn't just the Jews, just the devout persons. It was in the marketplace. He cared enough to share anywhere and everywhere he could. He, he was stirred. And if you notice the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about his life at all and his ministry, you don't have to question that he saw the need around him and he was stirred by it. That was his response to the lost, his response to the need all around him. Are we stirred by the need around us? And certainly, salvation is the biggest need, but we have many people who have other needs, and we can help with them. Are we stirred by our own spiritual need? Do we notice the need all around us? Here he is in Athens. Uh, just a little background there that you may know, but uh, that was, at the time, really the intellectual, longtime center of culture, philosophy, art, architecture, sculpture, and it led to a lot of immorality and idolatry. Sounds a lot like America. In many parts of the world as well. You got names such as Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, full of worldly wisdom. And a lot that, I mean, they had some good things to say. But a lot of it falls so far short and just reveals their own need for the word of God. Even those, no, humanly speaking, great men. It's been said that in Athens, it was easier to find a god than it was to find a man. Little g, false god, of course. Boy, in America, it's easy to find something else than it is to find a Bible witness sometimes. It's easier to find someone living for something else than living for God. Are we stirred by the need around us? I feel so sorry. I feel burdened, feel stirred when I stop to think about how many people are so devoted, working hard, dedicating their lives to things that are leading them straight to hell dedicating their lives to things that have no eternal value, even Christians, and it's been me so many times that we're working hard at things that have no eternal value. And anything done for the Lord has eternal value, but are we letting him lead us? In Athens, there were 30,000 public statues. They were always searching for who they thought was worthy of admiration, but desperately needing the one true God. Here we are in America, taking down statues, tearing down ideals as if nothing seems worthy to us. Nothing is worthy to honor. And we spend so much time trying to figure out who we are. But we need to spend time becoming who God wants us to be. And helping those around us become who God wants them to be. Because that is the only source of true joy and happiness, let alone eternal salvation for them. The story is told of two liberal sociologists studying people who were walking down the street. They saw a man lying unconscious and covered with cuts and bruises from a terrible mugging. 
One of the sociologists turned to his colleague and said, whoever did this terrible deed really needs our help. They're not wrong, but what should they have done? Who should they have helped? Yes, 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 sociologists study people. And yes, the, the mugger that would beat a man half dead. Yes, that person needs their help. But so does the person right there. And so often, again, it's a silly story that I hope isn't true, but so often we'll look and, wow, Washington needs our help. Ooh, this leader or that leader needs our help, and maybe they do, I don't know. But what about the person across the street, next cubicle over? They need our help. It's the person lying there with spiritual cuts and bruises, lying there half dead spiritually. They need our help. Yes, if we can do you know, impact in a national or statewide sense, that's awesome, but let's notice the needs all around us. Next, how do you respond to the options around you? <laughs> there are lots. Go on social media, look at what's trending. You've got lots of options to pay attention to. Not all of them bad, not anything wrong with many of them. But none of them except for God and his word are what we should dedicate our lives to. How do you respond to the options around you? Acts 17, verse 18 says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. So Paul's preaching, Paul's sharing. Some people from these different schools of thought, these different philosophies, get to hear them. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others say, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. By the way, they could notice there was something different about him. Amen. That's a good thing. And it really started everything else in this passage. They could tell, hey, this guy's got something different to say than what we're living for. Something different to say than what we've ever heard, what we've ever believed in. Can people look at us and tell there's something different? Because if they can't, they won't want what we have to offer. They won't think we have anything to offer. They could tell something was different about Paul. Verse 19, And they took him and brought him in unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine, whereof thou speakest, is. It's a good start. They want to hear. Verse 20, For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would therefore know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Again, <laughs> wouldn't you agree? So many in our society, so many in the world are searching for something new because they haven't found the best thing ever. They're searching no matter what they say, no matter how they word it. Let's help them find them. Maybe you came here this morning, maybe someone's watching online and you're searching. You know it. That's awesome. Keep listening. Paul's going to present the gospel. I'll be doing my best to share how you can come to know Christ through, come to know salvation through Christ, and I hope you will. 2 Timothy 3.7 describes so many there and so many today, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we can pity those people, and we should. We should have a stirring for them. But how often about our own lives do we not even notice that we're ever learning, even as Christians, looking for something else to bring us hope and joy and purpose and meaning. Maybe you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, but when's the last time you made a decision that was not based on the Word of God? Don't answer. I, I, I haven't actually sat down and thought about it. It's probably not as long ago for me as it should be. So many times we're looking for something new. We're learning different things that are not as good, can't compare to God's Word to base our lives and our decisions on. We're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth for our families, or for this situation or that situation. 
because we're not basing it on God's word. Yes, the main point here is salvation, but let's start by living out the word as Christians so that lost people will tell there's something different about how they make decisions. There's something different about how they raise families, about how they go to work on Monday, no matter where they work. There's something different. They were ever learning how to do it their own way, the world's way, but not God's way. You got the Epicureans who, see if any of this sounds like our society today. You got the Epicureans who were living for pleasure as the purpose of life. They believed in evolutionism. They believed that man ceased to exist at death. So many ways similar to today's atheists. They had the, if it feels good, do it mentality. And living for self-fulfillment. Living for what would make them happy, not what would please God. And you notice how they had to keep looking for something better because they could never find anything that would fulfill them. They could never find anything that would give them lasting happiness. And so many today, and my heart aches for so many who are searching in all the wrong places and struggling to find true meaning. You got the Stoics that believe that God was not personal. And before I even go any farther, I just have to say how thankful I am that God is a personal God. He didn't just make all those stars we were looking at, didn't just make the pillars of creation, didn't just make the universe. He cared about forming us. He cared about us infinitely more, and he still does. He is involved in every aspect of our lives he wants to be. The Stoics didn't believe that. Their mindset was, as I've heard it put, put more along the lines of endure life with personal discipline. If I do well, life will go well. No, it's not about being self-sufficient. It's about depending on Christ. So what about you and me? We're surrounded by those philosophies, even though they go by different names. We're surrounded by those choices every day, even if we don't always realize it. So what choices are we making every day? Are we doing what we think is best for ourselves? Are, doing, are we doing what we think is good enough? Or are we doing what God says? I think a lot of times as Christians, we've got a list of sins. We're saying, well, I would never do that. No, but that's okay. Or this isn't necessarily wrong, but I know it's not God's best. The lesser of two evils is still evil. And we need to be cautious with that. We'll think, oh, it's not as bad as. If it's not as bad as something else, it's still bad. There, there's the book, and I often think of the title. I need to get around to reading the, the management book someday, but it's called Good to Great. And how the good, even in a business setting, is often the enemy of the great. I think for us, it's the good is the enemy of the godly. And so many Christians today, and I've been guilty of it, absolutely, but they're leading good lives. They're moral. They're not going to go to jail. They're not doing anything wrong. They're not doing anything illegal. They're raising a decent family, but they're not pursuing the godly. These people were pursuing their version of God, missing the one true God. But how often do we pursue our own things for fulfillment and meaning and hope and purpose instead of pursuing the one true God. What options are you choosing? Next, how do you respond just to religion? And I will say, before we even dig into Acts 17.22, <laughs> there's some organized religion I don't want any part of. I'm all about a relationship with Jesus. I want to be all about a relationship with Jesus and then a church that is, and I'm so grateful for our church that is. But Acts 17.22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Really what he was saying wasn't a slam, apparently. If you study it out, which I've gotten to do a little bit, I'm more benefiting from others who have studied it out. But uh, he was saying, hey, you're really religious. No, like, yeah. It was a compliment. It was a starting point. He's saying, hey, you're seeking. It's a good start. 
Verse 23, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore you worship, or you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. There are so many people that would describe themselves in our society as atheists, don't believe in God, or agnostics. Ah, maybe he exists, maybe he doesn't. But they are seeking, and they just don't know who they're seeking for. They are looking to fill that God-sized hole, as I've always heard it said, with something. Paul wants to introduce them to the unknown God, who, as I've heard it said by one preacher, he doesn't have to remain the unknown God. Maybe you came here today not knowing God, not having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can leave knowing him. He can go from the unknown God to your Savior today, and we'd love for that to happen. But how about every part of your life? How about every part of mine? <laughs> Is he known in every part? Are we letting him lead in every part? Or are we almost superstitiously hoping it'll work out? These people were marked by indecision, and they had a form of interest, but a convenient lack of involvement and commitment. I've known of a lot of people in a lot of different churches who had an interest, but not involvement. I actually thought about titling this message, I changed it, but titling it, Irritated, Interested, or Involved. These people were interested in religion. By the end, some of them will absolutely be irritated and will walk away. And maybe you're here and you're interested in the things of God. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Glad to have you here. Absolutely. I'm glad you're interested in God, but I hope you'll consider becoming fully involved, that you'll accept Christ as your Savior. If you have, that you'll get involved in the church and in God's work around the, the community and the world. This morning, where are you at? How are you responding, not just to religion, but ultimately to God's offer of a relationship with him? look at number four. How do you respond to God's authority? Acts 17, verse 24, says, God, that made the world and all things therein, right where we started, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. In other words, you guys are building these temples. You've got these false idols. No, no, no. God's bigger than that. He doesn't need that for you to worship him. That's not how you ultimately worship God. He's bigger than that. Verse 25, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He is God. He is the Almighty One. We all have a desire for God. Some people try to put everything they can on top of it. Some people, it's bitterness. Some people, it's anger at religion. Some people are jerks. Some of them are Christians. I don't like that statement, but it's true, right? Maybe you've had a Christian be a jerk to you. And I'm truly sorry. Christians should not be jerks. But I've been a jerk before. I really have. I don't know. I never saw my grandpa one time in his 95 years of life, 37, that I was alive for be a jerk. I don't know. I mean, he really was the sweetest man. But I'm sure even he had some imperfect moments. Don't let the unchristian behavior of a Christian turn you off from Christ. But at the same time, wow, those of us who are Christians, let's live as much like Christ as we can. Let's be real and authentic. If we blow it, let's admit it and apologize. Man, maybe you turned off from religion. I get that. But go to a relationship with Christ. We all have a desire for God, an eternal relationship with him, and a close daily relationship with him. What are you doing with that desire? It was said um, that... Uh, a story is told that some years ago it was noticed that the delivery boys in an area of London were all whistling out of tune. 
Some of you are like, man, you can't whistle. And I can't even whistle, but can't whistle in tune no matter what. But some people can, right? Uh, some people are like me and can't carry a tune in a bucket, but others can. I mean, absolutely. But all of them were off tune. It was discovered that the bells of Westminster were off pitch and that the boys had unconsciously copied them. Being out of fellowship with the Father will affect all others as well. I really want to try that somehow. Like, I obviously don't live in Westminster, but I really want to, like, Tune someone's radio, just, I don't know, something, but see if that would still work. It sounds fun. But our lives will be out of tune with reality, out of tune with our creator and sustainer, unless we take time to tune up often. We like to make, I've heard one preacher say this, we like to make God in our image, rather than acknowledging and yielding and submitting to the fact that we are made in his image. I don't make God, he made me. How is that reality affecting your life? Maybe, again, maybe someone watching online, maybe someone here who has never realized, okay, the Bible's true. Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. He is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to know I'm, my sins are forgiven. And I need to submit to that. I need to accept him as Savior. Or maybe you're here and you're a Christian, and you're trying to hold on to this area or that area or that area of your life. I could name specific ones that I've done, and you can ask the teens. They've heard me talk about some of them as well. I won't take the time right now. But where, No, that's mine. Maybe you'd never shake your fist at God and say, that's mine, that's not yours, but let him control all of those things. Again, it was right before I got up to preach. I uh, noticed, again, this is the Bible that, that Pastor John and the church gave me at my ordination, but a very, very fitting C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon quote, if Christ be anything... He must be everything. If he's not your savior, come to him as savior. And if he is your savior, allow him those other areas of your life. Give him all of those things. Otherwise, you're gonna, your life will be off tune in way worse ways than those delivery boys were there in London. How is God's authority affecting your life? Now, or next, how do you respond to the timeless truth during changing times? It's Acts 17.26. I love that this is just kind of sprinkled in there. Acts 17.26 talking about God, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the, all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. But we don't need to look for something new for life's big questions. And I just love how right there in the middle of this message, we see the real solution to racism. Just kind of sneaked in there. Hey, he made us all of one blood. Racism's silly. We're all of one race. God, God's made us equal, and he loves us infinitely. That's where we get our value. But whether it's racism or you turn on the news, any of those major issues that are shaping and shaking our country and our world, the Bible has the answer. Are we looking to the timeless truth, or are we looking to the news and social media for those solutions? Are we getting our views of life's issues from God or from somewhere else? It's that he's not far from every one of us. Can we reverse that and have that be true? Are we not far from him? I hope we'll be right there under his authority, right there living by the timeless truth. I was reminded just of the image. It was a couple months ago. We got to go see Miss Jen's great-great-grandfather's light ship that he was the first captain of. It's up in Baltimore Harbor. I think it stays there. You can go see it. Inner Harbor, but a uh, picture of him right there and just giving an insider family tour. It was an awesome thing, but uh, he piloted that back in the 1930s. But a light ship is like a lighthouse, but on a boat. It was after we got there that day that I realized that. I don't know. I, I think I was supposed to know that already, but I didn't. But uh, it went out miles in, you know, I think 17 miles out because that's right where the need was. 
If it had stayed on shore, nice lighthouse, even a boat right there anchored at the harbor, people would have crashed and died. The need was out there. And it took the, the ceaseless warning of the rocks ahead right out where it was needed. Do we take the timeless truth out right where it's needed? Are we willing to help with that? The light kept shining right where the ships needed it. Let's take the light, the timeless truth, right where it's needed. And let's allow it, first of all, to affect our hearts. God has done so much to get our attention. What's our response? We don't need a new solution. We need to show to follow what God's given us. Next. How do you respond to the search for purpose and fulfillment? We've talked about that some already, but this is awesome. Notice Acts 17, verse 28. For in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto silver, gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. It's not like all these statues you're worshiping, all these idols, all of that. Verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He's showing him, showing them, hey, this is how you find the one who's worthy of worship, the one who's worthy of accepting his Savior, the one who as a Christian is worthy of living for day in and day out. This is where it's at. Do you ever notice you can eat a whole lot of sugar or a whole lot of your favorite junk food snack and really never get full? at least for long. And then you eat the real food, the good stuff that might not taste as good in the moment, but the healthy, got something to it food, and you're ready to go. Maybe you've been eating junk food for a while and you went on just an eat better kind of diet and you're eating the, the stuff with some sustenance to it, and you feel like you could run, you know, 10 miles, go take on the world because all of a sudden you got the good stuff feeding you. You got the good stuff filling you. You got the good stuff filling you up in a way the wrong stuff never does. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that your spiritual diet, so to speak, your search for fulfillment and purpose and meaning in life has been all the wrong stuff. Maybe popularity, maybe just wrong philosophies like these people. Maybe it's an idol that you would never make an idol out of rock and gold and silver, but it's anything that's become more important to, God, to you than God is. Maybe it's success, maybe it's money, maybe it's your family has become more important to, God, to you than God. Whatever it is, you know you're filling your life with the wrong stuff, the wrong stuff. And you maybe didn't realize it until right now. Maybe God's showing you, hey, that is what you're filling your life with, and that's why you're so spiritually hungry. Mentioned the news a bit ago. The news is filled with spiritually hungry people, isn't it? That have done the wrong thing to try to fill their lives. But sometimes churches are too. Eh, hopefully not criminals, you guys. I don't know. I think I'm safe. All right. You know, hopefully not the criminal, the newsworthy kind of garbage, but at the same time, or we'll try even as Christians to fill our lives with the wrong thing. And then we'll say, hey, come, accept my Savior. And it's like, why? He's not even what you're basing your life on. They didn't have to wonder that about Paul. They could tell. We don't need to look for something new to give our lives meaning and purpose. We need to look to God. Next, how do you respond to your own need for salvation? And maybe you're like, I did that a number of years ago. It was about 32 for me, 32 years ago. And I'm grateful for it. But Acts 17, 31 says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead, obviously talking about Jesus, bringing them really to a point of decision, 
And you'll notice here as we finish the message shortly that that really did bring them to a decision. What will you do with Jesus? Maybe you came here this morning, maybe someone's watching online, and they like religion. Yeah, every church, this church, that church, that non-church, sort of like a church, or they, they haven't heard of the Bible, but they talk about something, you know, and religion and you, that's cool. You'll go anywhere. You'll believe anything. You're like, yeah, these Athenians looking for the latest and greatest philosophy, that, that's me. What will you do with Jesus? Because that's what it's all about. What will you do with Jesus before it's too late? He hath appointed a day. I don't know when yours is. I don't know when mine is. But there will come a day where it will be the last chance you've ever had to accept Jesus as your Savior. And could be today. On a lighter note, it was a couple of months ago, I gave out little circles with T-U-I-T written by my wife's pretty handwriting on there. Um, and it was a round to it. And uh, I still have some extra ones. If you're like, ah, I'll consider accepting Christ when I get around to it, I will give you a round to it. I'll give you ten round to it. Be glad to. Let's not put it off. If you've never accepted Jesus as Savior, this is the, this is the right time to do it. We, we talk about salvation around here a lot. We even push it a lot around here. Not that we're trying to force anyone to get saved, never. But we, we talk about it a lot, and it's not because of us. We want you, we want everyone to get saved for their sake, for you, for you to be on your way to heaven, for you to have that relationship for, with Jesus, for you to have your sins forgiven. We know what he's done for us, and we want you to have the same relationship. So if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have the same choice as each of those that were listening to Paul had. Now we're going to see they made some different choices. Will you consider Christ this morning? We see next, how do you respond to the call for a decision? There really aren't many different options. Notice in Acts 17, 32, he just mentioned about Jesus. He not only died, but he rose again. He is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 17, verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. But notice verse 34. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among whom were Dionysius and the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. As John 14, 6 puts, and I've already said this in my own words a couple times, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Some mocked. Some put it off a little ways, but others accepted. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul did everything he could to make it clear, hey, these different gods, these different philosophies, these different things you're living for, you think you have control, and you really don't. God is in control. You think you can't give control over to Jesus? Jesus already has control. He's the one ultimately in control. Will you accept him as Savior? Some mocked, others postponed, some believed. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision to trust Christ, I don't know that those people that walked away ever got another chance, some of them, to hear the gospel again. I, I don't know. I don't know if some of them left and that was one of their last days on earth. I don't know. I hope the rest of them got saved eventually. I really do. I'd love to meet them in heaven one day. But this could be your last chance hearing about how God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. We celebrate his birth at Christmas and I'm looking forward to celebrating again this year. But he not only lived not only came to earth, not only left heaven for you, lived a sinless life, suffered and died on the cross for your sins and for mine, 
As Paul said, he rose again and he wants to be your savior, to forgive you of all of your sins and you can know you're on your way to heaven. Maybe that's always sounded a little crazy to you, but you can tell right now that God's drawing you. It's not. Don't mock. Allow God to draw you to him for salvation. Maybe you've always postponed. Maybe you believe every word of the Bible, but you've never accepted it for yourself. Don't postpone. Make that decision this morning. Be like the people who believed. For the Christian, you and I live, everybody lives because of Jesus. I mean, he keeps our heart beating. He keeps our lungs breathing. Do we move and have our whole being in him and because of him? One of Henry Ford's famous quotes about the Model T was, any customer can have a car painted any color that he wants, so long as it's black. And they were only black colored Fords there, so I guess if you drive a black Ford of any kind, you're following the, the originator there. And I know we like options. I love options. I don't even know what I'm going to have for lunch today, but I'll probably consider three or four things before I pick. I like options. There aren't different options here, though. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And Jesus is the only path for Christians to have true joy and meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And so many work so hard at so many things that are eternally worthless. And they're wearing themselves out. Maybe you came here this morning weary, worn out, burdened, knowing there has to be more. There is, and his name is Jesus. Will you accept him this morning? We decided at the beginning of the message that we wanted to make much of God. We wanted God to be big in our lives. So let me just ask you, is he big to you? Have you come to him for the biggest decision ever for eternal salvation? And if so, is he big in your daily life? I love the nativity practices. And I was telling Jen several times that I'm just impressed at so many that are able to come out Friday after Friday on these meetings to get ready to just share the gospel through our simple acting, through what we're getting to do with the costumes and the sets and the different things. But this last Friday, the sound crew kind of got quite a few compliments uh, because we were able to, to make a tweak that allowed the, uh, the Bible versus the voice to be a little louder and the music to be a little quieter. Um, God was gracious, totally a God thing, and that was awesome to be able to do. But let me ask you, is God loud in your life? Man, for the first several practices, we'd be down there, several speakers set up, lots of audio, plenty of volume. But it was especially right at the end, just in the way it was made, I think the audio track got made 15 years ago, um, in the way it was made, the music, the background music, was most of what you could hear. Some people commented they couldn't even hear the, the gospel, they couldn't even hear the verses being read. And thankfully, praise God, we were able to tweak that some. And Hirod did a great job of running the sound the other night. But is God loud in your life? Is God loud to you? Is God loud through us and through you to those around you? Where in your life do you need to turn up the right volume and turn down the wrong? What needs to be quieter? What needs to become a little louder in your life? What response do you need to make? As Miss Deb comes, uh, we'll have just a short time of invitation. Will you spend some time allowing God to show you how to respond this morning? I don't know what he might have spoken to you about. The message from Paul, the message from God's word there, really covered a variety of different topics. But will you spend some time, even right now, saying, hey, God, how do you want me to respond? What do you want me to do? Feel free in just a moment we'll stand. Feel free to come to this altar. Feel free to pray right at your seats. But you can go ahead and stand, everybody, please.
and we spend just a few minutes allowing God to show you how he would like you to respond to his word this morning. been good to be here this morning. I appreciate you coming. Hope you can come back tonight. If you've never heard Missionary Dave Arnold speak, you need to. I think anyone that has, I see a couple smiles already, you know what I mean. He's both a great Bible expositor as well as just fun to listen to and kind of a unique, awesome version of the word fun too. So you got to come. You'll enjoy him. And I think I think his wife and one daughter might be traveling with him as well. So I hope you can come join us tonight at six o'clock, but pray for a blessed afternoon for you as well. Brother Rick, would you mind closing us in a word of prayer? Lord, that passage is so powerful, and Lord, we live among those groups of people, the Stoics, the Epicureans, the religious, the non-religious, that are around us. Father, all of those elements are within us, and we're prone, we're tempted toward them. Forgive us, Lord, as your children, for not keeping our minds tuned to you and our hearts pure. Lord, I pray for anyone in this building who's not right with you. Lord, you know their heart, and they do. And I pray you would do the work in their heart so that you don't have to do the work in their lives, particularly if they're your children. Save the lost and draw them. Father, thank you for this day, and I pray you bless us. We leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.